0: My name is Rick Firestone. My name is Benjamin
1: Bugale. And you're listening to Pixel Project Radio, a video game and video game club style podcast where we do deep dive reviews on the games that we love and the
0: games that you love too. What are we talking about today, Ben? Richard, today we are talking about Spyro, the Reignited Trilogy. Ha <laughs> We're
1: going to reignite this review and send it into
0: the ether Not really sure where I was going with that one. No, I liked it a lot, actually. And whenever you said a deep dive, all I could think was uh, as deep as you can go uh, into certain games. But uh, really, because what
1: I thought of uh, when I think deep dive is the amazing underwater controls of the (laughs) Spyro
0: games. Touché, touché. Remarkable, outstanding, breathtaking. Except, is there any breath to take? I think it's great anyway.
1: So we just wanted to say at the top of the show, um, if you're a new listener, welcome. We're happy to have you. If you're a returning listener, uh, welcome to you as well. We're happy to have you. If you're not a listener, I don't know how you're hearing this right now. The last episode that we did was on Disco Elysium, and that was a really, really big game. Uh, Definitely a large episode, and we even didn't get to a lot of it. This episode is not going to be quite <laughs> like that. Um, Spyro uh, is a is a good game. They're, they are good games, but there is not as much depth to them as something like Disco or Witcher or even Zelda. So we're going to be spending a little more time in the generalities for this episode, talking about opinions and things like that, as the story is uh, uh, pleasant
0: but simple. It is... It is remarkably simple and pleasant. I think, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. But um, it was a fun little trip down memory lane to play through these games, though. I admit, as as a young person, I had only ever played the first Spyro. I only played Spyro the Dragon, so to play the other two was um was a new experience for me. Oh, that's interesting
1: because I only ever played the second and third ones. Um, Are you I'm serious? Not... Yeah, I'm not just making this into a bit. That's that's real life. Um, I had Ripto's Rage. That was my first one. And I liked it so much that I got Year of the Dragon. That's the one, as a kid, that I spent the most time on. I, I had only ever watched my cousins play
0: the first one. My friend Dalton, who lives... Or lived up the hill from me. Um, shout out to Dalton. Shout out to Dalton Banzo, Sonic Blade 5, forever. Um, Yeah, he totally always owned spyro the dragon and didn't make the game uh using his computer uh and downloaded it to a blank cd he definitely didn't do that he's always owned it and so i i went up one summer and would in fact uh play the first the first spyro game at his house and goodness gracious i loved it i thought it was wild fun in its in its own right when i was a a younger person and i never i never knew um About Ripto's Rage, I knew about Year of the Dragon. I remember the ads for Year of the Dragon, and it looked like a fun game, and I see why you played so much of it.
1: And speaking of Year of the Dragon and um, Dalton totally obtaining the game in a legal way, uh, that's a nice bit of foreshadowing into uh, something that made Year of the Dragon not infamous, um, but definitely noteworthy. It had some anti-piracy measures that were uh, more unique than the other two games. But before we get into all of that, do you want to give our one sentence reviews? One sentence review to hey, they we keep it casual here.
0: Do you want to go first? I I would like you to go first this time, Richard. As as I'm still I'm still processing little bits of it as I literally finished Year of the Dragon earlier today. But I would love to hear your review first. Sure, no problem. So. Spyro the
1: Reignited Trilogy is as faithful a recreation as I've ever seen. Almost every aspect is updated and given a fresh 21st century perspective. And while that also means it maintains the original trilogy's issues, it delivers as authentic a 90s experience to newer generations as is possible on newer hardware. I would personally give the overall trilogy a 6 out of 10.
0: Eloquent, fair, beautiful... Not unlike you, yourself, as a person. I, I would say, okay, so, the Reignited Trilogy. Give me a second, because I'm I'm wanting to backspace things I'm currently looking at. But I will just, this might sound a little bit piecemeal, An honest recreation of a favorite of any 90s kid. A triumph through the Unreal Engine that could be enjoyed by most any gamer of any age. I give the Reignited Trilogy a 7.5 out of 10.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that that tracks. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, Ben, so I just wanted to say a little something up front. I was thinking um, about, you know, how I'm rating the Spyro games and how I'm rating some upcoming games like It Takes Two and how I rated Zelda and... You know, I was talking with some friends and they were like, man, how could you give them like a 6 out of 10? Or, you know, how could you be thinking about this as a 5.5 out of 10? And while I will honestly say I think I maybe should have given Zelda Majora's Mask a 6.5 or maybe a 7 out of 10, I stand by these ratings because here's here's the thing. You know, the problem with reviewers that I've seen, Ben, and I don't know if if you agree with me here, is that the reviews are almost always relegated from 7 out of 10 to 10 out of 10 almost without question generally 7 or 8 when a game is like when a, when you hear a reviewer saying like a game is like truly bad um, they might give it like a 5 or a 6 but like if we have the whole 10 number spectrum to play with why would we not use it like a 6 out of 10 is still a darn good game do you know what I mean like I think back to like getting grades in school and, you know, I know we could talk about the uh, wonderf- wonderful, wonderful uh, institution that is higher education and education in general in the United States. But when when somebody gets like, let's say, a C, like, let's say a 70, 75 percent, um, that's often seen as like not a great grade. Right. Even though they got 75 percent of everything correct. You know what I mean? And like, I'm not trying to turn this into a diatribe or oversimplify the grading system in the United States. Um, By the way, I did not get C's. Thank you very much. I got straight A's. But all this to say is, like, I I think it's okay to be critical of things and still enjoy them. So when I say something like Spyro is a 6 out of 10 for me, or Majora's Mask, my updated, is like a 6.5 or 7 out of 10,
0: that means that game resonated with me way more than it didn't. You know what I mean? That's—when you say it resonated more— then it didn't. I think that's fair, and I think that that makes sense. For me, I do go by the grading system as if it's school. So for me, 75, as I've basically rated the entire trilogy, I- I'm gonna say that that's not great, just by my measure. It's good. It's a game. It's a it's a platformer that I enjoyed. Um, left a lot to be desired. It's certainly not dare I say Super Mario Sunshine or anything like that. But it's um, for me, I I will say there are games that track well below five for me. So I agree with you also on saying that the whole scale should be moved. Just for me, if it functions as a game and it is at least functioning, I'm going to probably give it close to. A six, seven, or onward, but there are some games like, and I know we're not talking about this game necessarily, um, Hello Neighbor. I don't know if you've ever tried to play Hello Neighbor. Um, I've heard that it's uh, an arduous experience to physically play that game. Have you ever broken a piece of glass, put duct tape over it, and said, why can't I see through this? Why, yes, I have now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what playing Hello Neighbor is like, so um, that game was just pretty broken and as much potential and as fun as a game as it is that's easily a three for me just so what i'm saying is i smell what you're stepping in entirely um as oh, i as love that turn of saying. phrase oh i love it too so um. but i think you
1: touched on something good here too that i that i think about whenever i'm personally reviewing art or games or whatever and that is that like you know it it comes down to personality right I think a lot of the reason that we don't see that, we certainly do see a lot of personality in reviewers um, professionally. Um, and certainly the YouTube reviewers that we look up to, like video game Dunkey and Pro Jared um, and folks like that. But you know, whenever corporations and money gets involved, that's when things get sticky and you can't corporations don't like it whenever you don't give them favorable reviews, it turns out, um, because what? capitalism. Exactly. But I think, I think, you know, you said for you, Hello Neighbor would be a true three. Um, You know, when I'm thinking about true twos or threes, I'm thinking like getting over it with Bennett Foley. Um, (laughs) And like, I think it comes down to our personal voices, you know, like, and and I think that's one of the cool things about reviewing stuff is like, your personal voice, like, yes, we have to say subjectively, the remaster is a great remaster. But we have personalities, so um, we can let that see through whenever we're talking about our review, because you know if reviewers didn't have a personality, we would we would only need a handful of reviewers, right? A lot of people would be out of jobs, and that's why whenever like, for example, when pro Jared says that he likes an RPG, you know that probably means that I will like it, and if video game Dunkey says that he likes an RPG and th- this is a, a what do you call it this is an example that donkey gave if donkey likes an rpg then he then you know that's a good rpg because he doesn't like rpgs very much you know and that's where the mm-hmm. voice comes in and that's like super important so like you know yeah i i can see people having a knee-jerk reaction like how could you give legend of zelda majora's mask a six and it's like well, because that's what it was for me you know it's a great game so much about it that i like But for me, it was a 6, and you know, that's better than a 5, and a 4, and a 3, and a 2, and a 1, and a 0. Although I would never give anything a 0, you know? Uh,
0: I would, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. Um, For me, whenever I'm personally reviewing things through my voice, I try to look at it as, does it complete the function? So let me talk about a game called uh, The Dear God for a moment, um, which happens to be... um, the greatest sin um, ever created in video games. And I just want to say, for me, like to give an example of how I, I view the game, I look at a game and I'll say, is this, does this game live up to what it's trying to be? So that's like my first, my first thing I'm rating it on. Like I actually, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, are the graphics great? Is the music perfect? That's not it for me. Is the game doing what it's trying to do? Right. I mean, you can't you can't
1: judge a game like Spyro from 99 um against games
0: from 2021. Like it wasn't trying to be that. Nor was it trying to be a game from 1995. You know, it's it's they're Precisely. all being there. So, you know, I start with that. Um from there I go to functionality, I go to, you know, how captivating is it? Now, I mean, if it's a game like Getting Over It or um you know what's another one? Super crate box. Like it's like okay, I I get what you're going for, and I I see the category it exists in, but I it's not necessarily my cup of tea either. So I, I again I smell what you're stepping in. Um, but the dear god let me down, and I some sometime I'll go on a ninety minute rant about it. But
1: I rarely you know podcasts are an auditory medium, but I rarely see conviction. Um, matching that of your eyes right now when you talk about The Dear God. So I know it must be pretty bad. I've never actually, I've never even heard
0: of it, frankly. Aside from you. They should have paid me to play it. That's, it was, I I could, I, I'm tempted to right now pull up to you and read to you what the game describes itself as. And then I will give you money to go and play that game. And then you tell me what you thought. Because it is i saw what they were going for and they just didn't it's like they showed up with a tennis racket to a baseball game like it just didn't
1: well listeners if you want me to go through the hell that is the dear god chip in five dollars for your monthly subscription service and if we meet our goal then i will subject myself to torture (laughs) let's go (laughs) no just (laughs) kidding um yeah, so uh, thanks for tolerating that tangent, everybody. Um, I think that's important to say. Tangents are great. I like tangents. Um, so we talked about we talked about off mic, Ben, about rating the trilogy versus rating the games. Um, just out of curiosity, what was... I think you and I have the same answer. What was your favorite game in this trilogy? Uh, okay, so the child... Favorite and least favorite, or just rank them. Rank them favorite to least favorite.
0: Okay, well, in my heart... Like, I want to say, I like Spyro the Dragon, number one! But, like, honestly, Year of the Dragon was exceptional for me in comparison. Suko's Year of the Dragon, followed by Spyro the Dragon, followed by, in fifth place somehow, uh, Ripto's Rage, so... Well, third place was taken up by Sergeant Bird's levels, and
1: fourth place was taken up, interestingly, by Sparks the Dragonfly's levels. There it is, yeah. Um, no, I'm right there with you, right? I, I think each game is better than the last, objectively, but subjectively, Year of the Dragon for me was definitely the favorite. And, yeah, yeah, Ripto was dead last for me. We could talk about why whenever we get into it, but, yeah, just, yeah, I, I just didn't enjoy playing it, truthfully.
0: No, no. I feel you there.
1: So how do you want to do this, buddy? Do you want to go through each game one by one and sort of just talk about their story and go through generalities and
0: like what we thought about it? You want to do uh, that? That's fine with me. I mean, let me... Let me um, but before before I do, I, I have to give you credit and a shout out where it's due. Uh, I appreciate all of the work and the laboring and, and the carrying that you did of getting down and writing so many thoughts and i just i appreciate everything you're doing for this channel rick that's what i'm trying to say um so uh while we've been dealing with um the wonderful issue of carpenter bees taking over the wood of our house um and as we're wrapping up choir seasons at the church i'm looking forward to being more involved with you but what i'm saying is thank you for digging so deep into this game in terms of the notes but well i appreciate that no it's it's credit where it's due and uh I look forward to, uh, if I dare to say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Taking a, taking a little go at the old sunshine game, if you know what I'm saying. Cause that's, uh, that makes my heart sing. So let's talk development and release of Spyro 1 first, if that's cool with you. Yeah, sounds great mm-hmm. to me. So, uh, this was Insomniac Studios' second endeavor, that, that is Spyro the Dragon. It's not Spyro 1. That's not its name. What are you thinking? Um... But Universal Interactive Studios backed Insomniac Studios, Um, and the game was first unveiled at E3 in Atlanta in 1998, and it was released uh, September 9, which is my brother and sister's birthday. Um, I always try to find games that have birthdays with, or rather, games release dates that share birthdays, Um, but that's a whole other tangent that I will spare you all. Um, The game that I play that shares my birthday
1: tiger woods pga tour uh (laughs) every year because tiger woods shares the birthday with me are you serious he does i love this
0: this is fantastic
1: and before we before we keep going one thing that jumped out at me that i had written down is like it is crazy to me that in the late 90s spyro 1 2 and 3 were all released and developed within a year of each other bonkers and they were still high quality bonkers That's insane. Could you imagine that? Like, we've been waiting, what is it, 20 years for GTA 6 at this point?
0: I've lost track. Yeah. I think we're still waiting on Cyberpunk. Um, (laughs) So, uh, no, but uh, so released in September of 98, and uh, by December of 99, it sold one million units in North America. Um, And originally, the Spyro games were supposed to be grittier and darker and honestly... um, probably a T for teen, if anything, but the changes came um, with the idea that they could you know cast a wider net to a wider market um, because PlayStation was being quite literally run over by Nintendo in terms of the family game uh, market, uh, the children's games. Uh, Spyro was originally supposed to be named Pete, but then they were <laughs> they were worried about copyright issues with Disney, so uh, that would have been uh, they would have lo- they you know, to be honest, they would have been flattened. Um, In the courts. Uh, Yeah, it would have been a whole new world for them if they tried to copyright with Disney. And boom goes the dynamite. So uh, (laughs) Pyro was seen as too mature of a name and that led them to go with Spyro, which is a perfect name. And Spyro was developed by the same man who created Crash Bandicoot. And Spyro was supposed to be green, but they feared he'd blend in with the grass, which is – can you imagine in the Unreal Engine what would have happened with him being green? He'd just be a blur on a blur. It would have been tough. And honestly,
1: him being purple gives it this extra fantasy element. Like, I i mean, dragons inherently are fantasy creatures, but a purple dragon just, I don't know. Like, I could imagine a green dragon existing before I could, like, a vibrant, uh,
0: majestic majesty purple dragon, you know? Yeah, and the purple and the yellow, I think, together give him a really nice dimension on those lush backgrounds. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, also... While playing through, um, oh gosh, see, my brain is just, my brain is fried from all of the flames that have left the mouth of Spyro. Um, After playing through Year of the Dragon and listening to Spyro's voice very carefully, I said, who's doing the voice of Spyro? Why Why does that sound so familiar? It's the same voice as SpongeBob. Yeah,
1: and um Tom Kenny, he voices he voiced Spyro in Spyro 2 and 3 and then he returned to do um all of the voices for Spyro in the Reignited Trilogy. He also voices the Professor, which to me, anytime I heard the Professor, I was like it was like hearing the Ice King from Adventure Time, you know, because because Tom Kenny voiced him too. And I was I was watching an interview um with Tom Kenny and you know, the original voice actor for Spyro in Spyro 1 was this gentleman named Carlos – his last name started with A. I don't quite remember.
0: It was a different guy? I thought it was the same guy.
1: No, Spyro 1 was a different guy. Um, and oh. if you go back and listen to the original Spyro 1, not the Reignited trilogy, but the original, um, it becomes painfully clear. He sounds like a nerd. Yes, he I does. I want yes. <laughs> York's butt. Yeah. And it's like uh, – I don't know. I think Tom Kenny really knocked it out of the park. But um, he he mentioned that when, whenever he was re-recording the lines, um, because the original quality was just so poor, because you know ni- nineteen ninety eight, that they couldn't remaster it. Mm-hmm. So he was like, you know, I wouldn't deliver these lines in the same way now that I've got twenty years of experience. And he was like, but fans can be very picky, so he just kind of tried to emulate it as best as he could. And honestly, like, I mean. It sounds it sounds like Spyro, you know. It's almost exactly how I remember it.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, and that's just it. Like the times have changed so much. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of TV shows we'll talk about, and and dare I, you know, this, this is going to sound like a, a a wild step off the path, but nine eleven changed everything. Is <laughs> no no. Hear me out here. Hear me out here. The way that lines were de- delivered, the TV shows that survived. The TV shows that didn't make it past, I mean, it changed media for forever. So, you know, Spyro kind of being like, nasty, Nork, and all these kinds of things. I mean, suddenly, nasty, Nork's not so, you know.
1: While we're on the topic, um, getting away from the topic of 9-11 and sticking with the topic of, I don't mean to no-but-you instead of yes-and-you, but to yes-and-your um voice actor thing, uh, most of the voice actors, they they got as many to stay on as they could, um, I was wondering if there were any that you particularly didn't care for, because there is one that I definitely did not like. Of the compared voice, to the original,
0: of the characters that you didn't like in the reignited trilogy compared to the original. Yes. Okay. See, now I only played, you know, the other two recently, so I don't know their voices by comparison. Elora's um, voice was okay, I guess, but it wasn't my favorite. Uh, I'm trying to think I, of I was. loved her voice. I was specifically thinking of Hunter. Oh, yeah, Hunter. Yeah, well, more for me, it's the delivery than it is the voice itself.
1: Sure, sure. The whole performance. Like, in the original, he was just kind of like a bigger brother, like, kind of dude. And in this one, he's, like, overly style. Like, he reminds me of Sonic the Hedgehog. He's like, whoa, Spyro. <laughs> I tried to catch Ripto, but I'm a scaredy cat. And, like... I don't know. Yeah. It's it, it goes to show you, I think, whenever you're doing any kind of performance that sometimes less is more, and not everything needs to be hyper stylized. And I think this is just a great example. I mean I don't know. I just didn't like I didn't like it. Yeah. But um. that's not to say that others weren't improved. I mean, um I went back and rewatched old clips of Spyro One, and like when you release the dragons from the statues, it's like they just got somebody from another office to be like Thank you, Spyro. Nasty Nork is up ahead. And then in the new ones they're like
0: phenomenal. So Yeah. I mean a lot of improvement. The dragons' voices in the first Spyro were just great, I thought, and a nice wide variety. Um and I liked those little cutscenes too, all of the conversations didn't bother me, because there were cutscenes that bothered me, but I'll save those for later. Um Yeah. Do you want to talk about the music a little bit? <laughs> so
1: I never knew yes I do um, that the music was composed by the drummer for the police stephen
0: um Stephen Stuart Copeland.-, mm-hmm. I never knew that, yeah, and Stuart Copeland considers and and I'm not saying this sarcastically or facetiously or meanly, Stuart Copeland considers his music for Spyro to be some of the best music he has ever composed, which like go you pat yourself on the back, um but it is as. Rick, you and I have discussed this at length on the phone a few times. Uh, it's kind of bluesy and very repetitive chord structures in almost every level. Um, it, to me, it embodies,
1: like, 90s, 9 through 13-year-olds trying to just have a good time with video games, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, like, if you listen to it for like a minute it's interesting i mean if you listen to it for 5 minutes it's repetitive but at a minute it's interesting but you could also just keep it in the background and it's perfect background music what i what i liked about it whenever i was like specifically listening to it was just how prominent the bass figured into everything mm-hmm. it was like somebody just like took the most active humbuckers slapped them onto like a, a six string pv and just like said rock out man like the bass
0: is so prevalent it's so cool it was very tasty and it was nice to, ha- it's kind of nice to have the bass, it, it, it was tastefully foreground and it was background when it needed to be, um, which might, we might be going off on or a bit of a music tear here because of, uh you know, that thing we've done before. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that the bass, it was, it wasn't annoying or obnoxious either. It was, it was tastefully done, I thought. And exactly, you're, you hit the nail on the head there with that it feels like that 9 to 13 year old like yeah i'm just trying to have fun and then it like bounces to like that kind of four chord with like a little little bit of a picardy third feel and then it's like back to like minor one and then major one and you're like okay settle down like i <laughs> i get it it's yeah there's there's a lot of modality throughout a lot oh, of these yeah. tracks like
1: it's i was really pleased at how often the flat 7 was present oh um, yes it there was there were even a, t- a couple of times when there was a flat 2 Like, I was like, all right, man, like, let's go.
0: Like, dude, that lower two. That's where it's at.
1: There was, um, there's like this, this joke that's prevalent on the internet that like this, the genre of ska music is like what 13 year olds hear when they get extra mozzarella sticks. Have you heard that before?
0: No, but that's accurate.
1: It's so accurate. And like, I think, I think about that. And then I think about like, you know, they eat their sticks and they get home to play video games. Like this is the music. Like It's just like a natural progression. Really? Ska into Spyro.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I always associate Scott with Tony Hawk, but I digress. Um, Yeah. So, former drummer for The Police. Good work, I should say. Do you want to get us rocking and rolling with, you know, gameplay, story, etc.? Yeah, let's talk about how the game plays, the mechanics. So,
1: you're playing in third person as Spyro the Dragon. Spyro, uh... It's interesting, the first game actually came out before um, PlayStation integrated the joysticks onto their controllers, which, you know, um, I remember playing it that way, and as a kid, like, I just didn't know any better, um, but it's a definite, like, like this is a joystick kind of game. Like, you just gotta. Um, and you move around. The camera has two settings, passive and active. I didn't really find them to be all that different. The camera is generally okay it gets caught into weird angles um particularly underwater underwater the camera goes to complete shit um but otherwise the camera's mostly okay with 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 a few hiccups um but you do have control of that with the right stick should you choose to um handle that spyro has a couple of moves um you can press x or cross however you prefer to think about that button on playstation to jump, you can double press it to glide. Uh square is a charge. You do a charge headbutt that also gives you a lot of speed, uh which feels really good to do. It feels really weighty mm-hmm. um in the Reignited Trilogy. Circle gives you a fire breath. Uh triangle will enter you into first-person mode if you want to look around. It also was integrated into the flying mechanic in the second one, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um Oh, and there are also rolls. You can do little dodge rolls uh, with uh, the shoulder buttons. I literally never used those, not even once.
0: mm No.
1: Um, as far as the first one, I think that's about it as
0: far as um, mechanics go, right? I think so. Now, did you play uh, Spyro on your PlayStation? Is that what you played the Reignited Trilogy on? No, I bought
1: the Reignited Trilogy on Steam. Um, and I have to say, um, you know... It looks just beautiful, mm-hmm. completely upscaled. Like I, I, I've got a 2080, so not quite like like one tier below yours a little bit. Um, but you know everything. It was maxing out at 144 fps, which is what my monitor is. Um, everything was super high detail. It looks just beautiful.
0: Would you say it looks unreal?
1: I would say that would they you... should
0: they they should do something with that. I like the unreal um, combustible something. I don't know. Maybe the, uh, I don't <gasps> No. Who, so who do I call I've,
1: I've already <laughs> mailed a letter to my address with that idea. So it's copyrighted.
0: Yep. Don't open it. It's safe in there. <laughs> no, I played it on the switch. That's why I asked. Cause I was like, you're saying triangle and square and circle next. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. PlayStation. And I'm sitting here like, wait, what buttons did I press? Um, Yes, I I did. Yeah, it on how was how
1: did it perform on the switch? Did you like notice any differences between docked versus handheld or anything
0: like that? No, it was it was as smooth as it could possibly be. Minimal erroring. Now I will say my TV is a little old. It's a flat screen and it still has, you know, an HDMI, but it's like probably a 2011, 2012 downstairs. Um and I'm not going to lie, sometimes when it gets frustrated with high like level graphics it shuts off and turns itself back on, and it did that once or twice on the t v but there was generally fair warning um so it was it performed great on the switch interesting, interesting um I think actually that
1: segues nicely into um bugs um and we could probably just do bugs as like a one off thing because you know if there's gonna be a bug, it's probably you know you know gonna be present in some aspects of every part of the game
0: um did you notice any bugs? I had no bugs other than sparks <laughs> okay, thank you sorry thank about you that, ben. ben
1: um I did actually have a couple bugs um the main bug was um and it particularly happened in Ripto's rage, but it did happen a couple of other times in year of the dragon um sometimes the cut scenes just had no sound um and i i, I generally play things um with subtitles um like 70 percent of the time so it wasn't a huge deal um but you know it's definitely noticeable i mean there's no sound for for god's sake
0: yeah i'm i'm sorry that happened to you i i had literally other than my television shutting off um and turning itself back on otherwise i had no bugs
1: yeah oh cool good good to good to know
0: i thought the um, switch would have crashed though to be honest with you <laughs> wrong wrong
1: franchise buddy i knew you would do that to <laughs> me. i knew you would do that you set me up and i take a shot um yeah so do you want to move into the story for the first one it's it's pretty simplistic
0: yeah, it was a a pretty simple story, not that we need to dissect every single twist and turn because there's there's plenty to do in this game. It'll keep you busy if you're trying to do everything 100%. Um, which was definitely not my goal playing through these. I didn't know how much you tried to 100% anything, but I was not I wasn't gunning for that necessarily. Oh, yeah, that's actually, thank you for bringing that up. Um, You're welcome.
1: Yeah, that. so how the game plays is you go through a series of homelands. Um, in the first world, um, home worlds they're called. In the first game, you've got the artisans, the peacekeepers, the magic crafters, the beast makers, and the dream weavers. In each of these worlds, there are going to be a set of portals, usually like, what, four or five?
0: Approximately, let's... Let me take a quick peek here. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, we've got five in Artisans, if you don't include the flights. So yeah, about actually more like five or six in each of them. Yeah. Okay. And the way that you progress
1: in Spyro 1 is you are saving dragons that have been turned to stone by the main antagonist, Nasty Nork. Um, Nasty Nork, this is getting into the story a little bit. Nasty Nork in the very beginning is watching like a TV broadcast Um, and it's basically a dragon saying like, yeah, we're all good and living peacefully. Uh, this nasty Nork guy, he's the worst. Um, and he calls them ugly, which is what makes nasty Nork snap. Um, you know, like all good, uh, nice guys and incels. (laughs) He's, he's ugly. That's it. I'm going to cause physical violence, uh, which he does. He does this spell that just magically turns every dragon except for Spyro into stone into statues so that's how we're progressing through the first game is we're collecting a certain number of statues dragon statues bringing them back and um that's how you progress through the other component of the game is collecting gems and every world every home world and every world within has a certain number of gems and you got to collect those too so this game is sort of an equal parts uh well, no, I guess it's completely like a collectum quest. It's just dividing the collectum into um, quest-based items like dragon statues or dragon eggs and the gems, right? The gems for me was the main thing. Like, it was it was uh, more enjoyable than fighting enemies. It was more enjoyable than the boss fights. Like,
0: like to me, this game excels the most as a collectum all. Yeah, I would... For me, it was the dragons, actually. It was setting them free. That was... More of the thing that called to me? I don't know. That's what I liked.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely better than collecting orbs, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but that's how you progress through the games. Typically, um, in the first game, you've got to collect a certain number of dragon statues or gems to progress to the next uh, homeworld. So, for example, in the Artisans, there is a a balloon pilot, a gentleman flying a hot air balloon, and I think, do you need a certain number of gems or a certain number of dragons? It's dragons, right? I thought it was dragons. Yeah, a certain number of dragons um, to progress to the next world. Now, what this means is that, in theory, you don't have to play every single level. You can get however many dragons is required of you and then progress onward. Um, And this tracks for the rest of the series, too. So in some ways although i think you and i have probably played every level it's not required
0: technically speaking no um to go back to the 100% thing that i'd mentioned earlier the only thing that i cared about 100%ing was the dragons and i don't know why but i was just like no i'm setting you free so um to that end i and i guess we both did probably play every level but you're right we you don't you don't need to which is strange to think about I
1: kind of like it. Um, I like that it leaves room for error. I like that there are more quest items, whether they're dragons, dragon eggs or whatever, available than um, what is necessary. And I I like that it gives you that kind of freedom so you're not feeling compelled to 100% it, but it's there as an option for you. I I think that's pretty good because there were some levels specifically in Ripto and... Uh, a little bit in Year of the Dragon that I just wanted to quit and not play anymore. So I did not want to 100% them. But the levels in uh, the original are much more simplistic, I would say.
0: And not in a low brow way at that, because, you know, something can be simple and kind of like, okay, I get it. This is just whatever. No, it's it's still a very beautiful artful game with a good spirit but it 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 is very simple i mean you know defeating enemies getting gems freeing dragons okay and you've been told that that's what you're supposed to do throughout the entirety of the game fair i'm in um in fact my favorite platformers explain things pretty thoroughly ah and explaining explaining is another part of this game that
1: i wanted to talk about maybe before we go into the ins and out of the story. Um, and that's, you know, we talked last, Ben, you and I, about Majora's Mask, right? Yes. What I loved about Majora's Mask is the onboarding process takes you through pretty much every mechanic that is going to be useful for the game and lets you experiment with it in a safe way, right? So the first time you um, have to reset the clock, um, which which is scary, it's a scary thing to do, um, the game does it in a way that's safe and ensures you that, you know, you're going to lose stuff that you can gain back. Um, But these are the
0: consequences just, you know, do you know what I mean? I, I'm not explaining I that very nope, well. Nope, nope. You're making it's they give you the bumpers on your first throw down the alley.
1: Yeah, exactly. They um, yeah, that that actually that bowling analogy is perfect. What I But what I like about that is it integrates it diegetically into the game in a way that makes sense. In Spyro, um, when you free your first dragon, because as soon as you start out, there's a dragon in front of you, you free him. And I don't remember exactly if this is the dragon um, that says this or if this is exactly what he says, because there are so many that constantly say things like this. But you'll free a dragon and they'll say... Thanks for freeing me, Spyro. That jump over there looks pretty far away, huh? If you just press the X button at the top of your jump, you'll get the farthest glide or like Thanks for freeing me, Spyro. If you ever get lost, just press the triangle button. Like it it takes you so far out of the experience. Um it's not diegetic because they would never talk like that, you know? And I think it that's that's lazy I mean, it is lazy. It was acceptable back then because video games were um, more in their infancy. I mean, there yes. were definitely games that were not doing that, let's be fair. And it is a children's game, like at heart. It, right. There's no getting around that. It's, I mean, it was their whole thing against Nintendo. Um, so I can see an argument being made for it being explicit like that. I, I'm just saying to me um i don't like that kind of thing i think it fits in here i just i i just don't like it
0: no and and i think you're exactly right i think whenever we get into children's games especially of that era there's a lot of that explaining now how they hold your hand to teach you these things i think that's what separates certain games of that era um in terms of like their their level of creativity so like for example um banjo kazooie you've got bottles and you know bottles is there and is like and you're like ah yes i will press b and do this move instead um great somebody's there to teach me but the fact that the dragon like breaks the fourth wall and is like hey thanks for freeing me push these buttons you're like huh now i haven't played banjo
1: but that does kind of sound like the same thing um my I mean my preferred like if I were designing Spyro, like if 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 I'm gonna backseat game design, I would have just put it like um like whenever you run into the fairies that save your progress, sometimes they'll say something to you and then an extra box pops up that just says like press triangle to do this. That's how I would have just done the whole thing, but again, since it is for children, there is a benefit to having everything read out loud. So I, I get it. I mean, I I think it's objectively good. Um, I'm still allowed to not like it, but it's objectively good. Does that make sense? I've kind of done a 180 on this, haven't I? As we're talking in real time.
0: Uh, no, I, I, I think I'm following you. I guess... no, you know what? No, I think I follow you. Cool. Um,
1: So, is there anything else that we should talk about before we dive into what the plot actually is and maybe talk about some uh you know levels that we might have liked or disliked
0: you mean pa- you mean talking about the story past uh calling nasty norc ugly and causing him to go on a rampage uh <laughs> which is admittedly like 50 percent of the story i mean it is it that's just what it is uh i there's nothing else to really talk about here um yeah it just you know we start at the very beginning in the artisan world and the artisan world houses a number of levels within. And those levels are, well, you obviously have the artisan home, but then you have Stone Hill, Dark Hollow, Town Square, Toasty, and Sunny Flight. Um, Rick, I have to ask your your feelings about how, how you feel about the levels that exist within artisans. Did you have any that were your particular favorite? Um How did you feel about Toasty? I'm curious to know. I don't
1: have any notes written down, nor do I have any strong memories of any level standing out to me. I think I remember Dark Hollow being my favorite.
0: It's mine too, actually.
1: Toasty, I... So I didn't remember this boss when I first played him, um, because as I said, I didn't play this game as a kid. Not this installment. When I first saw Toasty... You know, as a 28-year-old as a man, I was like, that's kind of badass. Like, that's edgy for a for a children's game. Right? But then the boss fight against Toasty is pretty underwhelming because really he just stands there until you flame him. And you only have to do that three times. So assuming that you can chase him and get to where he is, um, and that is to say defeating the enemies along the way, you're fine.
0: Yeah, the enemies along the way were actually harder than the boss itself.
1: Were the enemies those uh sheepdogs if I'm remembering correctly?
0: Yes, yes, they were. I
1: died to those so many times because so many they times. like they they can like they can do it like a double, they can do like a double double dip on you. Yes, they can. You
0: know? And they will.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um so we should say as you're going through the game, um There are going to be different kinds of enemies. Some enemies can be defeated by either headbutting or flaming them. Some enemies will have something special like maybe armor, so you have to headbutt them. And some enemies might be just too big, so you can't headbutt them, you have to flame them. Um, But every enemy can be defeated in some way by those two basic moves. One of the two. And same can be said with jewel containers, uh, gem containers, excuse me. Um, some chests are made of metal, so you need to headbutt them. Some are just standard, so you can do whichever you'd like. Um, there are some that you have to use special means, such as um, finding a rocket that's placed in the in the level and flaming that rocket. But those are rarer um, and fewer
0: in between. Yeah, they, you know, they don't get... I don't want to say it's not creative, but you don't have a lot, you don't have a very large um wild Swiss army knife in the grand scheme of this game. Um I will say something that I experienced. Um first of all, I agree Dark Hollow is my favorite too. Not that I don't like um Town Square and all those kinds of places, but Dark Hollow is my favorite. I have to say I think there were a few moments just throughout the game and not to get ahead of myself here, but throughout Spyro the Dragon that the boss fights were almost easier than some of the enemies. And that was, for me, that was a point that kind of dragged the score down for me, to be honest, because I like I like a really satisfying boss fight. Like Girahim in um, Skyward Sword is one of the finest bosses I've ever fought. Um, but in this game, it was like, left left me wanting a little bit more like swing your scythe at me toasty slay me
1: for sure there were definitely um so, sometimes it's it's some of the monsters that are within the world combined with the level design that can make things a little bit almost more challenging than the bosses themselves yeah i completely agree with you yeah um so going through spyro one the story really just revolves on getting back to nasty Nork and confronting him. There's really no story beats. Um, you just go from place to place until you reach him. And the fight with him, I I thought was a little underwhelming because he kind of just runs away from you.
0: Ten times over, it was underwhelming. Yeah.
1: Um, and then um, once you beat Nasty Nork, um, this is a trope that stays within the Spyro games throughout. Um, the ending is like a little like TV interview with Spyro. And it's, it's like kind of cute because like you can very there's very clearly like a boom mic and a mic arm in the scene, like um, just in, endearingly amateur. Um, and that's really kind of it. Like it's a happily ever after thing. Um, again, like like we said at the top, there's not really a whole lot to the story for this whole trilogy. Um, it gets more in depth with the next two games. But yeah, Spyro one, you know, this is something else that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, with games, not everything has to be about something. You know, a game like this that has a very standard uh, light story um, subsists on its gameplay, and that's totally fine. Um, I'm kind of getting into the territory of how I feel about It Takes Two, <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, which uh-huh. is an episode that will release a little bit later um, or is already in your feed if you are listening to this in like 2050. But yeah, you know, it's okay for a game to be simple and to just survive on its gameplay. I mean, that's literally how Mario came to be. It's fine.
0: It's how Mario started. Definitely not how Mario is now, but... A gr- yeah, I mean, Yeah, for sure. There's, you've got that big through line, and there's not many appendages off of it. Like, Spyro is kind of like just a big old tube. You know where you're going. You know what to do. It's kind of straight through. Um, you know, we played... Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask is a little bit more like a web. You go kind of off the path every once in a while, and you can do different things that are not necessarily just in the in the main tube. Um, and then you get other games where they just kind of throw you in the middle of a field, like a Skyrim, and they're like, hey, find your own tube, kid. Like the, You know what I mean? It's just... And th- there's nothing wrong with just, okay, we have a main story of get nasty, nor can help other dragons. Okay, that's fine.
1: And to that, you add good level design, good mechanics, and good music, uh, along with, like, a collect-em-all element. Like, of course, 90s kids are going to eat that up. Oh, yeah. You know, they, I believe, ooh, I might be speaking out of turn, I believe Pokemon came out just before
0: this, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe you're right. I will let you know momentarily. Yeah, Pokemon was 96, I believe. I I think
1: 96 is right. Um, The Collect-em-all thing was like, I mean, it's still popular, but it was super popular back then. So, you know, and there was a Collect-em-all element to um, similar platformers like Crash and Croc, too. 1996. We're good. There we go. So, yeah, uh, I'm just looking through my notes here. Um, I think my favorite level design in the entire... Game is a toss up between either Peacekeepers, which is like a desert style place. Um quite big desert style place that was really fun to explore. There are little cannons that you can take from the enemy and shoot down like the enemy or uh gem casings or whatever. I also really liked Beastmaker's World. Really? Um, it was kind of like a dark swamp and everybody is like comically bayou cajun
0: <laughs> comically so yes they are um not not for the sake of the show i sincerely from my heart my two favorites were actually magic crafters and dream weavers those i i absolutely loved dream weavers is just whimsical and everything's like pink and blue and fluffy and there's like magic everywhere it's kind of crazy um nobody from the bayou there nobody cajun there um and magic <laughs> they don't belong there no they don't get them out of there abadiba and magic crafters <laughs> that's for you priscilla wherever you are magic crafters um yeah I, I i thought that that was um maybe one of like that's kind of what i would have expected from a game like spyro a game about dragons is a place where there's a bunch of um wizards who are trying to do battle with you you know what i mean and it was just fun Pure fun. Yeah,
1: for sure. I, I can see that we're both in the same Google Doc. Um, a lot of the level designs I described as, quote, generic fantasy, but I didn't mean that with any sort of uh, criticism or or any anything like that. Like, I'm not obfuscating, like, like my opinions on it. Like, um, the generic fantasy to me is like, there's greenery, uh, varying degrees of greenery and styles of greenery. There's water. Um, platforming. I just didn't know how to describe it without writing full paragraphs, which I didn't want to do.
0: <laughs> no.
1: Um, but I think as far as the quote generic fantasy goes, in the first game, Magic Crafters is definitely the best one.
0: Well, and believe it or not, I actually wasn't in the Google Doc whenever I was saying that. I was ref- <laughs> I was refreshing my memory on the IGN website walkthrough thing, and I was looking at all of the stuff. So I must have Somebody's actually. Somebody's in the Google Doc. I I have it up, but I wasn't looking at
1: it. Oh, I gotcha. Um, this one also had my favorite boss design, which was Blowhard. Um, Blowhard is a literal wizard, but he doesn't have a body <laughs> or legs. He is just a head with a very long beard and arms. And that's it.
0: Yeah. Classic. Classic Blowhard. Also, This was just another example of, oh, man, getting to you was harder than fighting you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, Blowhard, that stage was a little harder to navigate for me than Toasty. Um, still, I mean, still super easy, but, like, the design was just so charming. You know, Toasty really set it up for everything being kind of edgy, and they didn't really um, cash that check. They didn't keep that pace going, which is fine. Um, but, yeah, the the beard with no body, I, I just think that's hilarious. Classic.
0: Classic. Trying to remember who was actually like the hardest of the of the many. I don't want to say mini bosses, but of each of the world's bosses in this game, maybe Jacques. Um, I don't. How was Metalhead again? I forget how Metalhead was. It's hard to say.
1: Like I didn't really find any of them overtly challenging. No, um, I fell off a lot in Blowhard's level, and I think it was a camera issue. <laughs> Yeah. So that might be my pick. Or or maybe just Nasty Nork himself.
0: Yeah, Nasty Nork took some coordination to defeat, but that's... I don't mean like coordination like someone's, you know, doing a backflip, using stasis on a rock, shooting the rock with a bomb arrow in Breath of the Wild. Like, it's, it's not much finesse. It's just... Keep yourself going there. Keep chasing him. Oop, oop, he's running away again. Go get him. Like, that's okay, I guess. That works. And
1: that's another thing that this series does really well is there's always a sense of forward momentum, um, particularly with battles like that. You know, with, with some of them, like Toasty, there's less so. Um, But I think as they went on to Ripto and to Year of the Dragon, you know, that forward momentum was really pertinent to keeping my patience and my attention and and i'm 28 <laughs> you know i'm not a child so like sure uh, that sense of forward momentum which again we'll talk about this in the next game uh uh that momentum was completely lost anytime you went underwater for me but otherwise it was really good like the series does that really well agreed agreed with that, do you want to move to Ripto's Rage? Is there anything else that you want to uh,
0: add a little nightcap to Spyro One? I mean, I might need a n- nightcap after talking about Ripto's Rage, but um, uh, I feel like we're building Ripto's Rage up as being this really horrible game. It just it betrayed me, like, and
1: it, it not it, it missed the mark.
0: Not not to sound dramatic here, but yeah, it just it wasn't it wasn't the same. Um, I don't know. Do you do you want to talk a little bit of development and then we can start the story of Ripto's Rage? Yeah. Yeah. So, um
1: again, um I think objectively we could say that it largely was an improvement on Spyro 1. It used the same engine. All the mechanics are the same for the most part. Um everything was improved and critics noticed that. It it generally was um concluded as being just A better version of Spyro 1 with a little more personality and better mechanics. Um, It was officially announced again at E3, and it was released at the end of 1999. So again, this is like right off the heels of Spyro 1. A quote that I found from the product development director, um, Amy Blair, said the following. Spyro 2 isn't just another sequel. Players will surely be lured by Spyro's playful antics, but they'll experience gameplay that's more challenging and more fun than ever before. Now, I know I'm wearing 2021 goggles, but, um, Amy, that ain't it. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't it?
0: Amy, you didn't. You lied to me, Amy. You tried. I like
1: Spyro's playful antics. I'll give you that. And the addition of Tom Kenny in the original.
0: Great. That was, I mean, power move, Tom Kenny, um, but yeah, this, uh, yeah, please, please. I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt your flow, my friend. In the, in the No, that was really where it was going
1: to end. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think as a, I think that's good product development director speak, yes. um, which is her job. So you did your job very well, Amy Blair. I just don't think that that opinion holds up to me.
0: I mean, uh, can I tell you what I was going to say? May I? May I tell you? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. With my hands on my cheeks like this, they can't see me, so they have to imagine me doing this. No. Um, do you remember Aladdin? Two: Return of Jafar.
1: I could get up and grab a VHS copy of that in under five minutes if are I you, had to. Right? Are now, you kidding sometimes. me? I am not kidding you. Um, but but yes, yes. That is to say, I do remember. Yeah.
0: And it wasn't in theaters. You know that? It was straight to DVD, which is kind of what Ripto's Rage felt like to me. It kind of felt like like I see what they're doing and, you know, it, there are some improvements, not going to lie. But there were a lot of moments where I was like, "This, this feels like the leftovers of the original in some ways. I'm not saying that it's bad it just they, they tried to do some things that um, there were some cut scenes that I just struggled to get through in, in Ripto's Rage and other things but I, I'm going off the rails forgive me
1: no it's okay did you feel some of the shortcomings and um, leftovers as you said did you feel that those were in mechanical execution or like their ideas for objectives for players because I definitely feel the latter I'm specifically thinking about the orbs
0: um, the orbs is everything. Um, and then the the cutscenes. In my opinion, sometimes cutscenes can be fun. Um, like whenever they're like like the bird puts the bomb in the helmet of the slug or whatever that thing was (laughs) and i'm like okay i've seen this five times you know i only need to see it once but maybe for some kids that's engaging for me as a little one i liked to use my imagination for like those kinds of things and that's not me that's not me discounting anyone's imagination or lack thereof um they were a little bit laborious to get through and a little bit annoying and on the subject of orbs because i i feel like we're gonna volley the orb back and forth here a little bit um you and i were talking the other day on the phone and Alora says oh yeah there are orbs to collect and I, i'm not gonna get the exact quote here but uh i'll explain later what they're what they're for what you need them for and when did she tell us about what, what we needed them for um pretty much towards the end certainly in the latter half of the game so Uncle Ben rolls in, and I can say that because I am an uncle. Uncle Ben rolls up to the last part of the game, and they're like, oh, surprise, we, we need at least 800,000 more orbs. And I was like, oh, good thing I got five. Like, <laughs> anyway, I, I digress.
1: And the, the thing about the orbs that frustrated me about this, um, one was it took a very human element that was rescuing your friends and family from statues and sterilized it yes it did that's a really great Um, way of putting that and they walked back on this decision with year of the dragon where you save eggs but but the main thing is as like a gameplay element that bothered me was that in this game to get to new worlds you largely relied on your gems you paid this awful character named moneybags who we'll talk about in a minute um to progress forward or you just collected Gems. Um, a- am I misremembering this? Because I don't remember the orbs like being necessary. You either collected gems to pay money bags to go forward or unlock portals, or you complete the level and collect a talisman. Now yep. the talisman in each level has absolutely no fail state to to get it unless you just don't make it to the end of the level, which um, w- which we should say the level design in Ripto's Rage is. It's just better than the first one. The levels are longer. They're more involved. And often the quote unquote end is like in the middle. Yeah. So there's still a lot to explore. I like that. Which I that. think is great. And I'll talk about exploration more in a bit because I really like that about this one. And the next one specifically. Okay. So in this game, we'll get to mechanics in in just a second. But there are new mechanics. Um. When you learn a new mechanic, you can then go back to older worlds to explore a little bit of a new area. I think that's good game design, because in the first one, I had absolutely no incentive to go back to older worlds unless I really wanted to collect those five gems that I'm missing. In this one, you cannot collect all of the gems, typically, because you'll have, like, swimming underwater that you have to do, and you haven't learned that yet, Um I didn't feel that incentive with the orbs, and here's why. Oftentimes the orbs range in difficulty between just talking to somebody and then doing um, some awful fetch quest, but also when you go back to a world to uh, get the orbs, you have to clear the whole level again, and this is um, triflingly annoying in the sense of just killing monsters and really annoying in the sense of killing monsters to unlock special power ups and portals that you need to progress or killing monsters to have the NPCs guide you through the rest of the level. This was really tedious to me, just really arduous. I, I I didn't feel like it was respecting my time very well. Like there's just so the mechanics here just are not working with each other. I don't think, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything to add. I mean, the mechanics of the game, I, was not upset with, but the orb stuff was very frustrating. And again, I agree. The end of the level in the middle of the level was kind of neat. Cause you could actually go further.
1: Do you want to talk about the uh, new mechanics that are in this game?
0: Uh, there were a couple of new things that you could learn for the right price. Um, which we'll get to that, Oh my God. <laughs> I just want to rip into him now. Um, and not that way. Uh, Yeah, there were some new mechanics that were brought about in this game. Um, There was the, quote, hover. They called it a hover. It really kind of was a hover, but not really. It was just like a little boost, a little bump at the end of your flight, which, you know, I think it's X on the Switch Mm -hmm. controller to get you to... I love this mechanic.
1: I think it's great.
0: Oh, it's, it's lovely, and it was very helpful. And that little extra, you know three feet that you could go two feet that you could go made it made a difference in what they could do with the game and i liked that um and it showed in the level design like they specifically designed
1: some parts of the level where you had to use that along with the dash and jump glide otherwise you weren't going to make that jump
0: and they peppered it throughout the game in a tasteful way where you weren't sure until the moment it happened, whether you were going to need to press it or not. And I really respect them for doing that because they didn't handhold. They didn't say, oh, you might need to go a little further on this jump, Spyro. Like nobody did that. And if they would have, I would have just like started getting really pissy. Um, so there's that. There's also the fact that you can swim now. Surprise. Um, yeah. Water no longer kills you also fire (laughs) fire does somehow what um yeah you can swim super and then the last what was that last well there were a couple of extra abilities um there's that one that was the was it called a rock smash what is that thing
1: the head bash
0: the head bash which
1: they i think that was integrated in the third spyro i
0: think it came at the it came at the end of did it at the end of riptos yeah because good because our because our friend you know is like by the way go back and do this and i'm like i'm gonna just take this horn um yeah and then there's the super powered fly um and the super dash and the defense powers i mean that stuff's cool i don't know how you felt about that i really liked it
1: i thought they were great and i thought they added a really nice variety we should say those last couple of the super powered um versions of the mechanics. They're accessed through special arcs that you pass through. And when you pass through those arcs, um, you activate the power-up. And they're only good for a certain amount of time. So they are time-based. They're generally pretty generous. Like, I never found myself running out um, in regards to what my tasks were. Um, Except for maybe the area with the mechanical spiders or the giant spiders. That Mm -hmm. was a bit tricky. But otherwise... um, yeah, I I thought it added great variety. I, I, I again, the mechanics are great. Mm-hmm. Aside from the camera sometimes and everything underwater, the mechanics are great.
0: Agreed, agreed. Um, would you like me to ignite the storytelling portion of this uh, this particular game? Uh, yeah, just two quick
1: more things. Um, the score, ah, same yes. deal as before. Stuart Copeland. Uh, the graphics minorly improved nothing crazy um we we are only a year since the last one um and yeah why don't you take us off with the story
0: all right so you've just you've just helped all dragons you've set them free they're all happy um you're going on vacation you've decided and um yeah it's it's raining uh in Dragon Shores, and you, you jump through you jump through a portal, and you're intercepted and brought into the world of Avalar uh, by the Professor Elora, and Hunter. They're trying to get a dragon to deal with Ripto, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, so Ripto is the main baddie in this game. You learn a little bit about him later, but just to get his origin story out right here... Ripto essentially came to this world by accident. Um total accident because Hunter was fiddling with the professor's portal, which caused Ripto to shoot out along with his cronies, um who we'll talk about soon because I can't find them in the list right now. <laughs> um but anyway, Ripto came out basically because Hunter was fucking with everything of the professor's and Ripto's entire motivation for being here is that there are no dragons. Like, that's his whole thing. He comes out, he realizes there are no dragons, and then he's like, this is as good of a place to rule as ever. <laughs> yep. And that's really his entire motivation as a villain, is I don't like dragons. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I know video games were in their infancy, but writing was not. This is one of the worst villains I've ever encountered in a video game, just like. Like, look at a sheet of paper laying on a hardwood floor. He's even flatter than that. His character is just so flat.
0: Yeah. And that, if I can speak to that, I think that's what made me so frustrated with Ripto is, you know, it's him, Crush, and Gulp. That's that's his posse. And it's there's not even like, with most people, with most enemies, or or as they say in the movie Big Fish, most things that are evil are actually just misunderstood. No, he's just a jerk. There's no other... He, there there could have been an opportunity to talk about, like, why doesn't he like dragons? Or, like, some sort of backstory. Or, like, you know, I'm not saying we need to turn it into some sort of, like, message about we should all love each other. But, like, it's just I hate dragons. Why? Because I do. Okay? What What else? I hate dragons. Okay, so you're just going to take over this place? Yeah what's what's in it for you buddy like i mean palpatine the ultimate villain right like there's there's all sorts of things ripto was the opposite of palpatine he was just bad period palpatine's foil yeah palpatine is... can you even
1: call him a foil he he doesn't really have any personality traits i don't, I don't think foil is the right word yeah. I, I antithesis to palpatine
0: yeah i don't know yeah on the scale of villainy that's um ripto really was left a lot to be desired to that end
1: this is another good case too with a voice actor for ripto um i don't remember if it's the same voice actor but the delivery of the lines of ripto in this one um much like hunter are just hyper stylized like you broke my scepter or like i hate dragons it's just it's stylized to the point of like I'm already not taking this character seriously because he has no motivation. Now he's become a caricature of a villain. Like, this isn't scary. No. Maybe that's, but then again, maybe that's why Spyro doesn't take him seriously either. And he's just constantly like,
0: I'm going to kick your butt, <laughs> you know. Valid, could be the case. Um. Yeah, so basically you're brought in there to defeat Ripto and Ripto's your inspiration for beating Ripto is just because you want to help these people out. There's really nothing in it for you to be honest. Yeah.
1: Spyro really does fit the trope of like, you know, the, the good hearted good boy. Um, that's just going to do right for the sake of doing right. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's a more forgivable trope than a villain who is just a jerk with no motivation. You know, it is at least Spyro has a
0: personality. Spyro kind of reminds me in this game, at least a little bit of like, and I I know that you'll, you know, who Max Esmus is, but just like happy to be there, happy to like do their best and to help and just all around good guy. But like, you know, again, Ripto is like, I mean, I I would probably punch Ripto too. Like I, I wouldn't sit there and try to figure out how to push Ripto's buttons. There are no buttons. I don't know.
1: Right. Um, The story really continues from there. The only major story beat is at one point um, the Professor develops a portal that is uh, powered through crystals and Ripto manages to steal the crystals for his scepter. He loses his scepter um, when he first lands in Avalar because Gulp eats it. Um, Because, you know, for every villain you've got to have a dopey sidekick (laughs) which is gulp (laughs) um so he steals that that's really the main story beat outside of the whole premise of them coming there um spyro eventually just defeats him anyway yep and peace returns to avalar and everything is good and he finally gets his vacation that he so desperately wanted
0: yeah I think we've covered the game. I think that's it, right? We can move on, right? Now. <laughs> Just well, we we I'm
1: should <laughs> We we've definitely covered the story. Um the main difference in the gameplay for this one. So, there there are a few. Now, um instead of collecting dragons, like we said before, you collect talismans. There are only one ta- there is, excuse me, only one talisman per level, and once you get that talisman, you're free to move on to the next world. Um You're still collecting gems. Gems are a little more important in this one. Um, And then there are also the orbs. You could feasibly get through an entire level without collecting a single orb if you really wanted to. Um, Again, I don't think this is great level design. But anyways. um, Yeah, now when you defeat enemies as well, they don't drop gems. So all of the gems are found scattered or in casings of some sort. But um, when you defeat an enemy you get what's called a skill point, I believe. And the skill points are important because they unlock special power-ups throughout the level. Um, So that might be a little super jump to get you up high. It might be a super flight to carry you across platforms. It really, it varies. Um, So defeating enemies, whether it's your first time through the level or whether you're coming back just to collect a couple spare gems essentially becomes mandatory i i don't like this they they did move back to enemies just dropping gems for year of the dragon um but yeah this just seemed like a mechanic that they thought was cool but it ended up like you said early on ben just not working it it felt like a leftover
0: yeah and like don't get me wrong i loved the power-ups sincerely that that was a great addition but the fact that you had to take out enemies and then you know enough enemies and then so, well, I don't want to jump ahead to the last game, so I won't do that, but um ex- exactly what you're saying. You get the talismans, and that's how you get to the next level. Fine. And I understand the, the need of the talismans because they told us at the very beginning the need for the talismans. Not the case with the orbs. Very frustrating. And now, when you take out enemies, you're getting skill points so that you can unlock things. Well, and, you know, I might have used those power-ups more had I known how many orbs I would have needed to pace myself for. Because I think, you know, just anyway, um, yeah. So so the first place we are is uh, Summer Forest in Glimmer. Correct. Whenever we're going through Ripto's Rage,
1: yes, Glimmer brought back. I distinctly remember going to Walmart, um, or it may have even been Kmart as a child with my grandpa and i got this game and another ps1 classic called rampage
0: Um, (laughs) and i remember yeah
1: talk about a fun game to cover that would be a blast oh my
0: gosh it might be a short one but man it would be good please keep please keep going
1: um but no i remember glimmer like the back of my hand like it's it's so this was the first spyro thing that i ever played and you know it's i played it so many times because i think when i first got the game i didn't have a memory card so i just had to play it over and oh, over no. again yeah yeah i got a memory card like the next week because i realized uh no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah glimmer i like glimmer there's little chinchillas and hard hats everywhere um you got to help them out and it also introduces my least favorite oh, no. character in the whole game um moneybags Can I talk about Moneybags for a second?
0: Um, I think you should um, go to town.
1: Okay, sorry. There were fireworks outside. So Moneybags is essentially a character that exists solely for a mechanic. He is a bipedal bear in a tuxedo with a monocle holding literally a bag with a big dollar sign on it. I mean, I think it's actually a gem. But he exists solely to take your money. Um, and in the notes here, I have written like I just like type brief sentences. But it's like we grew up with characters like this. Of course, so many kids and people our age hate capitalism uh-huh. because these guys are moneybags is the worst. He deliberately blocks your progress. Um via some strangely supernatural means like he's able to construct a rock bridge seemingly just with a snap of his fingers or um you know teach you how to swim which apparently you just forgot how to use your body until you pay him money but the all of these are hidden behind paywalls that are, range between 100 gems to like a thousand two thousand mm-hmm. gems and he is everywhere in ripto's rage he generally is preventing you from crossing bridges um accessing power-ups getting into certain areas and then like i said uh preventing you from doing basic mechanics like climbing um so whether you want to explore or just have bodily autonomy you have to pay money Mm back i hate it
0: it's horrible money walls are always frustrating
1: i will say though i will say this like i hate him as a character it did promote more uh gem exploration And collecting gems which i was doing anyway because i like that part of the game um but just strictly as a character like fuck moneybags
0: he's he's the capitalistic monster like come on not saying that capitalism is all bad but i'm saying that moneybags being like hey there so uh i can be a good person for the right price i'm like ah, yes my least favorite kind of person um voiced by jean benoit blanc that's who did the voice the voice actor yeah, is great. Fantastic. Like, let's just say that. Fantastic though. voice actor, but as a man who was born in Paris, France of all places. Um
1: <laughs> So what what worlds in this game did you end up liking um, the most? I like
0: literally any of like the flight levels. I just love them and and I just it is what it is. I grew up loving uh Rogue Squadron on N64. Um so anything that I can fly in is a, is a great love of mine. Um I feel so bad, Rick, because as I reflect on the levels and I try to think of ones that I liked and even as I try to, like, look at names and see if anything, like, sparks, like, oh, man, I really loved it. No, I didn't like a lot of the levels in this game. Um, I'm trying to. I don't I just I had such as soon as I got to the end and they're like, oh, yeah, we need the orbs. And I was like. You need you need what now? I would have. I would have gotten these you couldn't have made the levels unlockable by getting orbs. I would have gathered orbs like you you monsters. Um I don't know, did you have a favorite level? I'll, I'll I'll think on it. I had a couple, yeah. So the two that I really liked a
1: lot were um and there are more than two, but these stand out to me. Um Colossus, which is like an ice or um not ice, excuse me. Um it's like a vaguely Tibetan area ah, yes. with chanting monks um and all the monks like there are statues of monks everywhere and they're all holding hockey sticks and at the very end you get to play a little yes. hockey against the worst goalkeeper to have ever lived which is really you know it's it's cute fun this game introduced mini games we should say um and hockey is one of the first ones you can do i also really liked the scalos badlands the caveman Ooh. level see that one didn't get me i like so i liked it I thought it was a well-done prehistoric level. I liked how dopey and stupid the cavemen were. And I liked that for some reason, the developers came up with the idea that the enemies should be cats with no arms, but wings that would fly and
0: shoot fireballs at you. Yeah, yeah. Like, where did they come up with this? That's that's a great question. I'm not sure. So as as I slow down and actually read through some of the names of the levels, because that's what it's taking for me to remember. Um, The Aquaria Towers, um, I liked that one. That was a creative design with the the flow of water. Um, Fracture Hills I actually liked, even though, you know, you had to pay uh, money to that giant turd bear um, at the end of the game to know how to do anything to defeat these enemies. That was kind of frustrating, but I liked that level. Um, and then Shady Oasis, I also liked. That was another cool level to me. Um, that that's the one with Shorty the yes, Hippo, it.
1: and um, it's so funny because Shorty the Hippo really wants to eat fruit, and when he eats fruit, he turns into like five times his size, and he'll bust down walls <laughs> yes. for you. Yes, that's it. And if you if if you talk to, it's so funny because like the trees with the fruit are right there, and he could easily shake them. And if you talk to him, he'll be like. Yeah, I, I I I bet if you headbutt that, the fruit will come down. Like I can almost picture him like scratching his arm. Like I bet if you do that, the you you can get me that fruit. You're gonna get me
0: that fruit. You're gonna give me that fruit, me that I'm, fruit uh, right? I'm just a little too hungry to shake the tree myself, but uh, can you? Uh... Yeah, he was kind of a turd burglar, but he was fine. Um, I thought he was a cute character. Like there are a lot of cute NPCs in. This oh yeah, one. and 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 I like I like the NPCs. I, I will say that I do like. Um, the use of NPCs in this game a lot more, and I think that it was a good adoption going into um, the third game in the in the trilogy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can we talk? Can we talk boss fights for a hot moment? Um,
1: oh, I was gonna bring up uh, the second boss battle, which was the least amount of fun that I had ever had playing this entire series. But do you want to talk about the first one first, or I
0: don't really have. I don't have much to say about Crush. Crush was like, I was like, okay, Crush, whatever, you're fine. Um, but I would love to talk with you a little bit about Gulp. Um, because let me let me tell you what happened in my brain. I was fighting Gulp. Okay, big green guy, rocket packs on his back, whatever, whatever. He shoots things at you, lays like lightning balls. So I was playing through it, and I was like, oh man, I, he, he's kind of handed my my ass to me right now. Okay, so two times i'm like okay well maybe i just need to focus more five times i'm defeated i'm like oh, okay okay you know what you no know, you know what maybe this is a good boss maybe this is really challenging and then i was killed for like the eighth and ninth time and i and i really s- took a step back and went no this is bad this is not this is unreasonable <laughs> and i love i love 90s games that don't throw you bones this this was take it away please
1: I also had um significant camera issues with this fight, yes, um and I also this reminded me this was actually I had some bugs in this boss battle. So the way this battle goes, um gulp has ten hit points. you cannot actually hurt him. instead, you get these drops from pterodactyls. they're carrying eggs, and they can drop <laughs> these eggs, and uh, a couple of things might hatch. You might get rockets, you might get barrels, you might get bombs you might get chickens. So really the rockets are the best thing because they just shoot straight at him. Um, But whatever you get, you got to eat up or hit towards him in some way, whether you spit it out or headbutt it. Um, He can eat everything that's dropped too, especially the chickens, which will give him health back. So you don't want that to happen. Um, The bug that I had was pterodactyls at one point just stopped dropping stuff. So I was just evading his attacks for five minutes with no way to actually progress, um, which was insane. Um, The problem with this level to me was that the drops are really slow. They only drop two at a time, sometimes three, but generally two. And once you hurt Gulp with one of the drops, the other drop automatically disappears. It, like, explodes. So the, the, the battle is just insanely drawn out. It's insanely tedious. It's like, okay, I get what you want me to do. Let me do it. Don't hide it. Um, don't try to make your boss fight seem more difficult by making it longer. That's that's. What, I think we talked about this in the uh, in the difficulty in video games episode. Um,
0: endurance challenges are not fun. No, and the fact that gulp could consume the chickens and re- regenerate health. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for enemies regener- regenerating their health. That's my favorite part of Breath of the Wild, to be honest with you. But the fact that, like, you get in these unreasonable, like, impossible positions, and then your game throws you a bug that isn't Sparks the Dragonfly. That's that's the end of that joke. Um, suddenly, it's... Oh, okay, so... <laughs> Thank you. Um, suddenly, you realize that, oh... He's just going to eat my health, and I'm not going to recharge any health. It's different if he's regener- regenerating health on his own it's than whenever he actually is, like, eating your source of health. And don't get me wrong, that sounds clever, but it's just not... I could forgive it if
1: I could hurt him more than once per round. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they dropped... Um, you know, three chickens and he ate two of them and I got one. If the next round, if they dropped three rockets and I could shoot all three, if I could get to them before he ate them, I would forgive that completely. But you can't do that. So actually, in theory, um, because I think the three drops are reserved only for chickens. In theory, Gulp could restore three hit points in one round, which sets you back
0: by about a good, jeez, I would estimate... Like, four minutes? And for what? Like, how has your life improved by those extra four minutes? I don't... When I beat Gulp, when I was done with Gulp, I kind of sat there and I just... Like, whenever whenever I beat Demise and Skyward Sword, I was like, yeah. Yeah, this might have taken me 30 tries, but I learned it and I did it. And it's fair, right? Because there's still a chance that you'll be defeated, it, but there still takes skill, but when I beat gulp, I was like, I'm never playing this again <laughs> this you you can't make me go back and do this, and I won't. Yeah, this was just
1: i I had so little fun with this, and it just took way too long
0: i just i, I this just felt so flat for me if i If I can speak just transparently here for a second, I think gulp was the hardest enemy in literally all of the Spyro I've played I don't know about you and I'm not saying difficult in like a fairness level I'm talking like fair and unfair he was just the most difficult like why do you have to be that way yeah
1: for sure um and like you said it it doesn't add anything right it's just it's it's an endurance fight and you know those have to be done right for them to be effective and this ain't it it's just not it. Correct. But um, we've mentioned the orbs a bunch of times up to this point. After you defeat Gulp, this is where the orbs start to come into play, because this is where um, the professor reveals his power crystal business. Um, and then Alora says, all right, now this is where the orbs come in. You need 16 to go forward. Um, and then towards the end, you need 40 to fight Ripto. Um just a complete 90 degree turn away from how we were already progressing. Um, it, it just, I, I think you really nailed it whenever you described some of these, um, mechanics and progressions and designs as leftovers. I really think that's what it was, um, because this didn't even need to be in
0: here. No. And it kind of felt like a hodgepodge, um, of elements from, it's almost like they took all three games and then took all of these strange elements and put them into the second one. Instead of like, instead of, you know, dispersing them evenly throughout all three, they just threw in like the ones that, ah, maybe people will like them here. It was like, no, I don't could have done this elsewhere, but, um, yeah.
1: Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in Ripto? Um, before we move on we should say the story progresses exactly how you think it will you confront ripto um he doesn't have motivation you beat ripto that's pretty much
0: it and you you be the judge of it but i would say that gulp is harder than ripto just i i agree with that i mean even if you don't play it just watch just watch a playthrough you'll be able to see the difference between gulp and ripto and uh That'll be that. So now we move on to Spyro 3,
1: or as it's appropriately titled, uh, Spyro Year of the Dragon. Um, It was only named that because it came out in 2000, which was the Year of the Dragon. So again, one year after the predecessor. The devs were super influenced by Doom, strangely enough, and Crash. The levels here were much bigger. Um they had various means of preventing um confusion and loading issues by hiding certain areas behind portals and such um and some of those portals had some fun new mini games like skateboarding was the big one uh you can skateboard a lot with hunter uh cuz hunter is back in spyro 3 um i thought that was really fun um it's pretty simple you just do like spins and flips um but it's fun, you know. I remember loving that as a kid, um, and I had Tony Hawk. Like, don't get me wrong, I wasn't like depraved of Tony Hawk. I was, a, I was a Rodney Mullen boy all day really? on Tony Hawk. Really? Yeah, I loved, yeah, I loved it because he was the manual guy. Like, yes, he was he super was. good at, at flat skating.
0: Him and Chad Muska, I think. Yeah, no, Rodney Mullen was the best though. I was a rudin Berg guy, but we can. I, yeah, we can go down that. A pick out of left field. Wow. I know, I'm sorry. Um, I loved the skateboarding, and I think any game that was developed between 1995 and 2002, if it had skateboarding, it was like Chef's Kiss.
1: Yeah, bring that back. I haven't played. Have you played the new Tony Hawk remasters?
0: I think the last I played was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 on the PlayStation 2, which is a masterpiece.
1: Oh, they're numbers one and two are out now. Like they're remastered. You can get them on the Epic Store. Um. I think the big issue with them is that you have to be online to play them, which is another thing that Epic does all the time, which is ridiculous, uh, but yes, Epic. yeah, I'm keeping an eye on to see if it ever goes below 20 bucks and that's when I'm going to pick it up. But any who's back to Year of the Dragon, Um, the music again, Stuart Copeland still sounding as you'd expect. <laughs> Uh, the graphics were improved. Um, they they look notice, noticeably better, I think. And the mechanics, with the exception of the new characters, which we'll talk about, are the same. Um, the game does get rid of the whole enemy soul skill points thing. So now enemies just drop gems as usual. Which is nice. They do away with the orbs. This is very reminiscent of Spyro One. You're saving dragons this time in the form of dragon eggs, and you're collecting gems.
0: I missed. I missed that. I like. I, I dare. I call it the human element, but in this case, we'll call it the dragon element. I, I like tasks that feel like they actually have purpose. Um, yeah. What else? There's there's something else that was in my noggin I wanted to get out about this game. Um it was kind of a return to form, it felt like. It felt like, ah, yeah, we're gonna go back to to just kinda kicking some butt and it's gonna make sense. Um I even thought that the uh the enemies were were strong too, with with the Rhinox having that consistency there. Cause there were I'm not gonna lie, there were a lot of moments in Ripto's Rage where I was like, wait, weren't these guys the bad guys in the last episode in the last level? weren't these guys the good it got kind of flip-floppy and confusing and yeah yeah i can see that not not the case here i thought yeah anyway they just ditching the enemy souls thing 10 times over was the right move with with this game
1: yeah um we mentioned that there are new characters in this game this is the first game in the trilogy um And we should say, we know there are other Spyro games out there. um, What? But they are um, questionably received, uh, oftentimes. Um, Generally, we're just strictly talking about the trilogy. So this is the first time you get to play as new characters. There are four of them. There is Sheila the Kangaroo, uh, Sergeant Bird the Penguin. The very best. Bentley the Yeti. And, and Agent Nine, a gun-wielding monkey.
0: So your favorite was Sergeant Bird? Oh, by a landslide. Especially the missionary comes up to you and goes, oh, yes, I've got to go through this portal here and I've got to help this fairy. It's a strictly platonic relationship between her and I. It's something I, I just need to go and help her. She's in need. I'm like, oh, you're a bird. Give it a rest. Go help her. Like, just, just, shh. yeah. Who is your favorite? Yeah, Sergeant Bird was definitely my favorite, too. Um, Like,
1: they're all good. So, just going through them one by one, Sheila's a kangaroo. Um, As you'd expect, she can double jump and she can, like, super jump. So, that's kind of where her levels lie. Sergeant Bird is a penguin. You can fly with him. So, it kind of does the verticality of the Sheila levels, but a little bit better. And he's also a war vet, um, so he's wearing a helmet, and he has <laughs> missile launchers on his back. Classic bird. So it's it's pretty tough to top a rocket-propelled penguin, um, but they try to do so with Bentley the Yeti. Um, he pretty much just plays like a, a Yeti, right? He's
0: a Yeti, but his vocabulary is on another level for a child. Like, I I would need to have a dictionary. If it was the year 2000, and I was listening to Bentley... I'd be like, uh, what was that word? What was? Huh? He's a fancy boy. He's a real fancy boy for being a, a yeti. Um. And then and then there's Agent Nine, and Agent Nine is a monkey with a gun. Yeah, I I guess this is where they were
1: implementing their Doom inspirations because, ah, like, yeah. you know, he's literally like it. It goes into first person shooting with agent 9 a couple times and like it's not great but it's like in a game like spyro it's it's so different and done well enough that it's like okay like yeah i'm into this
0: yeah i i liked agent 9 he wasn't my favorite because like come on sergeant bird i liked all of them to be honest i thought that they were all great additions to the game And they didn't feel forced. You know how sometimes the game's like, okay, got to do these new quests. Not the case. It felt organic and I wanted to help them. And again, I think it's because you were more morally driven. You were helping, uh, uh, pardon me for going on the psychology of this, but you're helping the dragons. You're helping these people that mean something to you. And they've been, you know, humanified in the first game, so suddenly getting these eggs instead of just orbs and talismans because someone's forcing you to help them i that that'd be like if like someone was broken down on the side of the road, the cops stopped you and said, "Can you help them change their tire like <laughs> like what this this is not my idea of help I want to do um i love- I love the side characters in this game, and they all had distinct personalities, and that theme
1: of help is um brought forth when we rescue them because moneybags has now in his quest for infinite wealth has turned to crimes against humanity and is just imprisoning these creatures that you know are just trying to survive so you literally have to pay him money to release uh these creatures because he's moneybags is in cahoots with the the main baddie of the game um and he's taking bribes to enslave living creatures there's really no two ways around this one um and if you pay him more, than he got paid, then he'll let them he'll let them out, and every time you let them out, they always like beat the shit out of him and it's great,
0: yeah, like why it's so great? Why couldn't we fight money bags? Why couldn't we actually hurt money bags? You get
1: to chase him down at the end of this game, like you can chase him down to get all the gems you collect you've given him over the entire game back. You do get to do that well, that's so I guess that's something I guess it's something it's like he come he comes straight out of the gate with the I was just doing my job line doesn't it's and it's like man.
0: That that statement doesn't it it's aging worse and worse. So money bags you can go go straight to hell. Um also I just had a fever dream of a thought of what if they decided uh instead of Stuart Copeland that they just went ahead and said ah uh, let's get the music of Aaron Copeland in here. Like what do you what do you think Spyro would sound like Oh I'm picturing um what was that
1: Canon level that I mentioned was one of my favorites the like badlands level the can- with the cannons from ripto uh-huh you remember the desert level just picturing that with Rodeo I was being gonna say rodeo the is the
0: first thing that comes to my mind yeah
1: but then we also like in some of the more um like uh fantasy levels that are like up in the air or like the darker levels we play like his atonal stuff like emblems
0: oh okay it's sure. just
1: really atonal and 12 tone and weird oh yeah run the gamut Call up Aaron Copeland. Where's he at? Uh I don't think anyone's heard His of His line's or... busy. I don't know what's going on. Uh-oh.
0: Um <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry to take us off there. Um shall we shall we tell the story, at least the beginning of it? Yeah.
1: This one's actually got a story and a villain with motivation. What? I some some kind of motivation anyway. What? But yeah, do you wanna do you wanna kick off the story? Oh, I'll
0: kick it. Um kick money bags straight in the teeth. Um the story begins. we've got spyro hunter and uh elder dragons taking a snooze um and then this this rabbit lady in a robe pops through a hole in the ground um with some rhinos um which we learn are called rhinox um they start stealing eggs chaos ensues um after the chaos really happens after she uh, steps on Hunter's tail. So I guess Hunter's kind of good for something. Hunter's okay. I just, his voice acting was a little bit, you know, the direction of the voice acting. I'm not trying to knock on the guy who did the voice. Um, Yeah. And then she's giving the eggs to the sorcerer and I'm not going to lie. From the very beginning, I saw in her face, some hesitation, but we can get to that later in the story. Yeah. I am.
1: It's broadcasted. So obviously, yes, um and it's done all the time. But I am a sucker for a villain that like kind of turns to the other side or maybe not even turns to the other side but becomes a sort of an anti-hero. Yes. Like there's a lot there's a lot in the spy, um spyro. There's a lot in the um Star Wars sequels oh, yeah. that was done um less than well, let's say. Um, but the arc with Kylo Ren kind of turning into an anti-hero, i thought that was really cool. I, I'm down with that. I really did. That's
0: that doesn't frustrate me. I, I'm I'm cool with that. Um, everything that came after that point, I was like, oh my god. But anyway, that's <laughs> another another podcast, another podcast for another day. Um, so basically, with the the stealing of the eggs, we—I mean, you can tell just from the opening sequence why you're doing what you're doing, like the purpose of the game, and that's to get the eggs back for your. For your family, for your tribe, for your people. Um, Or should I say, for your dragons?
1: And we should say the reason this is important is because um, so, this character that's coming to steal the eggs, um, she is a bunny in like hooded robes. And her name is Bianca. Um, She came from this hole in the ground. And we find out one of the fairies flies down there. And we find out that it's like the hole leads to like a far off world where dragons don't exist um the lore behind this is like dragons left that world um and once they left the magic started leaving as well um i think that's lore in ripto as well if i'm remembering that correctly um but suffice to say dragons don't exist in that world and for one reason or another uh the person that is in charge of bianca this dragon sorceress wants these dragon eggs we find out later that her motivation isn't, like, she doesn't really care about the dragons. She cares about taking their wings for a sort of immortality spell to make herself immortal. So, it's not amazing motivation, but it's better than, I hate dragons, let's set up camp here, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's... I mean, what, she has her her teacher, basically, who's telling her to do these things and i mean okay anakin palpatine kind of thing going here like whatever it, it makes sense yeah, i'll to go me. kill i'll go kill all the dragon younglings uh-oh <laughs> uh-oh um yeah so i i i get it i think it's great um master I, skywalker <laughs> master skywalker what are we going to do <laughs> <laughs> Oh god uh, This is good, I like this um, So I like the names of all of the worlds That you go through in this game too My, If if I might just kind of jump through some of these We've got Sunrise, Spring, Midday Gardens Evening Lake, and then we've got Midnight Mountain okay. Um, and, and to be honest This division of levels Was not too taxing Because um, they crammed All of the levels into three Worlds in ripta's rage which i found to be kind of exhausting admittedly but to have the levels divvied up this way between these levels um to have these levels divvied up this way between the worlds felt fair to me again my personal favorites in all of these are like the speedways i just love those levels and they the parts of they're tough in this one. Oh, i love them. the speedways oh I love they're them. so they're they're so much more difficult they are but they are satisfying in in a way that is my mother would have said oh there's medication for that um but i just i just <laughs> the obsessive pursuit of them um but lots of cool levels i mean we've got like levels where You know, we're going through and there's like this door that is black and has stars coming out of it. And there's like maybe sometimes there's a face next to it. Sometimes there isn't. And now instead of just traipsing through whatever place, suddenly Sheila's there and she goes, hi, Spyro. You know, let me jump in and help. And you're like, "Okay, so we've got someone here to help us now. That's great. And they're all lovable. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and the second party characters, their levels aren't going to be as dense as Spyro's levels, but they're still, like, a ton of fun. Um, You mentioned the one Sergeant Bird type level. Um, (laughs) It's really good. The Sergeant Bird level with the hummingbirds that are, like, army recruits is good. Um, The Sheila level where she's helping, like, these very stylized Germanic billy goats (laughs) that are like, oh, the Rhinox are here. You have to help us get get, get them out of our town. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. It's just really good.
0: It's playful. And it's not like it's, you you know, it doesn't feel like it's like being offensive as one would say. It's just caricatures of these um, animals. Really? It's, it's fun. I don't know. It's a kid's game. Gosh, darn it. There was one, I think it
1: might have been in Ripto's Rage, not this one, that was like, quote-unquote, Middle Eastern in flavor. Yeah, you that know what? was verging on a little bit not okay. I felt bad. Um, I remember that one. Yeah, not great. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. The levels in this one were my personal favorites. Um, like, gee was where's the one? Like, Icy Peak is a good one. Mm-hmm. Like, All of Midday is a good one. Um, Sunny Villa, like, all of that is really yeah, like there weren't really a lot of levels here that I didn't like except for Seashell sh- sea Shore.
0: Seashell Shore. Which is tough to say. I played this game literally I in hate three days. the water levels. So I
1: I hate the water levels. Let me look
0: this one up. Because I'm forgetting. Oh, I, you know what? I wasn't wild. This was the one I didn't like. I liked, um, I liked, which one was it? The fleet one. Oh, where are you? I remember you, the sunken fleet level, Evening Lake. It's um, Lost Fleet. um, Starfish Reef didn't upset me, but the one did. The one did. Are you serious? Oh, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. An Aperol Spritz just apparated, I believe. Cheers to you, my darling one. Um, now tell her I don't want one. Tell her it's fine. Richard says he doesn't want one. It's fine. She'll make you anything you want—food or drink. So, when we're all together, and I don't have a rain barrel seminar on a Wednesday, I'm sorry. <laughs> nothing, nothing like a good visual gag for a podcast. <laughs> they can all see it. Let me tell you, it's in a plastic wine glass, and it's um, three parts prosecco to two parts aperol to one part club soda with a with a good old wedge of orange in here. So.
1: You you said prosecco and for some reason my brain went to prosciutto
0: <laughs> and I was like that's really gross dude no i ate all of the prosciutto yesterday if i can be completely honest with you and all of the people listening it's some of the best cuts ever oh me. my gosh it. have you ever had prosciutto di parma uh i don't think so it sounds I'm great change your life anyhow let's <laughs> i could go off on this all evening but let's let's talk some uh, let's talk some more levels I just didn't like the levels in Ripto very much, but these ones, really satisfying. And even even though they weren't as tightly themed as Spyro the Dragon's levels, because, you know, there was a lot of connectivity between the levels, like in Dreamweavers and Magic Crafters, you kind of got the sense that you were taking steps outside, but these ones felt like portals to new dimensions, and I, I thought it was nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um... I'm really happy that they took a return to form in terms of how the levels operated versus, um, you know, levels like in Ripto. Um, I like that they segmented the levels. So, like, going through, uh, there are purple portals in pretty much every level that will take you to a, like, new annex of that level. Um, I don't know how they were... Well, no, it should be the same on Switch. Like they don't have mini maps, which was kind of annoying, mm-hmm. but otherwise perfectly fine. Um, or like like we'd mentioned, they take you to new character levels, like Agent Nine or Bentley mm-hmm. or whoever. Or, um, I guess we left out one playable character, Sparks. You can play as <laughs> Sparks, yes, in this one. Um, so I did these as a kid. I didn't do a single one this playthrough, um, partly because of time. Did
0: you? Um, which the sparks levels? Yeah, I did. I actually did one, maybe two. I did at least one, and I I really like it. It reminded me for those of you who've played Call of Duty Black Ops, um, there's there's an arcade where you you know you break out of the chair, and you like waddle around the room, you know, a little too slowly, and you get to this computer and you're playing a, a, a game where you kind of um, it's, it's one of them shoot 'em up games. Um, but that's kind of what you're doing with sparks. You're like shooting lights at these, um, Rhinox or crabs or whatever they are. I forget what they are at that point. And it's a top down shooter. It's a top down correctly. That's, that's, I couldn't get the word.
1: That's what makes it more fun. It's more like a tactile strategy kind of thing.
0: Arcade. Than like that compared to like agent nine where it's like first person shooter. Yeah. I prefer the arcade shooters sometimes. Um, But yeah, I I did a Sparks level and it was tastefully challenging. It wasn't too easy.
1: Yeah, we all remember our first Sparks level.
0: I think that's the theme of this podcast. That's our first episode we talked about the Sparks levels. The Sparks levels of, um, what was it? Halo 2 had a Sparks level even. This is turning into like one of those
1: click hole videos. Like, (laughs) I remember my first Mario. (laughs) What, what, what was uh i can't remember anything oh my gosh forgive me you're gonna get me going
0: and i, was I remember his when my
1: super nintendo spit out mario's bones for the first time <laughs> and i was his priest um <laughs> classic uh um wow yeah i'm loving the tangents that we're getting me, me um too. yeah so did we skip over anything in the story um, I I, don't... I mean, we skipped over we skipped over the like general progression, but I think we talked about all of the story aspects, didn't we? I
0: think so. Bianca basically struggles with aiding the the Uber sorceress, and she kind of ends up coming to help Spyro and Hunter through warnings first, and then eventually actually like being there with them. Um... And then eventually, eventually, in a romantic relationship with Hunter,
1: mm-hmm. because we didn't we forgot to mention um Hunter is immediately enamored with Bianca from the very first time she comes around and starts being jerks uh, a jerk to them mm-hmm. um much to Spyro's dismay he hates this um so does Alora but they snuggle at yeah, the it's, end it's yeah it's one of those classic like there's romance on the screen and like Spyro represents all the like 10-year-olds it's
0: like ew gross even though Alora snuggles up right next to him as the camera pans away and then Sparks winks and flies away, and I'm like, "Sparks, you behave yourself, you little." <laughs> um, it's a cute game. The Sorceress doesn't have a name other than Sorceress, does she? I
1: the alligator if she one. does. It's not presented in a meaningful way. I'm pretty sure she doesn't. Did you find her end fight to be particularly difficult?
0: I found like as long as you just kept moving, it was fine. I so I actually liked. All of the mini boss fights in this game. Because they actually felt reasonable and difficult. I didn't think hers was too demanding. But. I thought her fight was. <laughs> I know I complained about the cutscenes in In the first. Or in, in Ripto's Rage. But I kind of wish I would have had like a little bit of a. Okay we're going to go fight her now. But instead they kind of dropped you in the middle of the fight. And like okay go get her. I was like. They did
1: that with every boss battle in this one, if I remember right. They did. You
0: took your mode of transportation. They just kind of drop you there. Each mode of transportation, you just kind of went into the arena, which made sense one of the three or four times that you did it.
1: I vaguely remember, I might be misremembering this one, but I remember the first one, you're fighting this, like, toad in a fire arena. And inexplicably, I mean, you get there inexplicably, and then somehow the kangaroo, Sheila, gets there completely inexplicably, and she's like, Hey, I just followed you here. And it's like, what? How did I get here? Who are you? What's going on? Yeah. I guess that's another thing that we didn't mention or that we just glossed over is that each boss fight, um, one of your friends is going to be helping you, whether it's Sheila, Sergeant Bird, Bentley, or Agent 9. Agent 9 helps you with the sorceress fight, right? Yep. And then, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I thought the boss fights were far more satisfying um, and well-balanced compared to the other two games. Because Ripto, you either have someone that's too easy or just, like, this is dumb. Um, and I don't mean, like, Dark Souls, this is dumb. I mean, like, wow, why? Um, Spyro the Dragon, not not much to write home about there. Bosses in this game?
1: Yeah, I really think, you know... The spinoffs that came after these three were met, like, like really met with a lot of well... In, well, I was going to say well-intentioned, but what I meant to say was valid criticism. Um, because there was, like, major departments from the formula in terms of the art style, in terms of how you played the game, in terms of really everything. Um, and I admire them for taking risks, but, like, nothing... I guess you could maybe argue that Skylanders had a decent fan base but nothing really hit like the original trilogy um and i remember i was you know i i'm assuming are we good to, to move on to like just closing thoughts and stuff absolutely i'm
0: fine with that my friend
1: I, I remember when this was announced um almost alongside the crash remaster um i think crash was announced slightly beforehand um that was when i was briefly working at gamestop um and to see the other, I was 26 at the time, 27, to see the other 26-year-olds like come in jazzed about Spyro was just super cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, the Crash remaster is also really good. Um, I, they're both exceptionally well done. They don't fix a lot of the inherent problems that the older games have, specifically thinking Crash um, with some really bizarre depth perception issues. But um, and then with Spyro, minor things like uh, the camera being a little bit ridiculous um, and certain challenges like the Bo Peep challenge being just god awful. It's it's faithful so much so that, you know, I I think it's the gold standard for um, any teams wanting to remaster old games. So, you know, um, no offense to like Shaq Fu, but it's just not as good of a remaster no
0: no and sh- <laughs> what a mess shack game is. shack if you're listening please forgive us um no yeah it's just i hear you loud and clear buddy that's yeah, spyro do you have anything else <laughs> i don't i don't really have anything else to add it, it was um i it's been a long time since i've beaten a video game in like three days um but i did that with um with year of the dragon with today being the end, but again, between work carpenter bees and um, getting my sister back on the road. um, Again, I want to just thank you for the amount of work that you put into compiling notes and everything. Um, So it was, yeah,
1: I didn't, I didn't get the notes to be super complete towards the end because I too was rushing to get through, but yeah, I think, I think Spyro, it it was a good experience. I think this was,
0: uh, this was your pick actually. Um, and I, I think it was a good pick. It was just, it was one I know that we had talked about because I knew that you played it before. Like you actually played it during its day. Um, I when I when I tell you I played that perfectly legal copy of Spyro, um, I was I was like in college or in later in high school whenever I played it for the first time. So, in terms of like nostalgic weight, um, probably more in your court than mine in this case, but. I'm just glad we covered it regardless. And I'm looking forward to uh, some uh, some other games that you and I are going to be uh, looking at uh, soon.
1: For sure. Um, we just wanted to kind of put this at the end because um, we've been not super great about consistently doing this. Um, please, uh, if you like this episode... Uh, the number one coolest thing that we think that you could do would be to share our channel with your friends um, through social media, through word of mouth, through text messaging, whatever you want. It's also super helpful if you uh, subscribe to our show, leave us an iTunes rating. Um, That's particularly nice to get into that algorithm. Um, And yeah, if you have any questions or comments on the show, the format, questions about the games, um, or just want to write in and have your message read on air, you can do that. You can find the email in the show notes, but in case you want it spelled out for you right now, it's pixelprojectradio at gmail.com.
0: We have great fun putting this program together, so please message us your thoughts, opinions, games that you like, games that you might want to hear us cover. We're here for it all. We can't guarantee that we'd necessarily be able to cover literally anything, but if you came along and said... Uh, why don't you guys play Bug Snacks or uh, Knack or uh, Diddy Kong Racing? Uh, you know we we just might. So uh, you know, and if you come at us with Kingdom Hearts, we won't. I I mean I already <laughs> I've played one and two, but no, I won't play three because Kingdom Hearts was like surprise. Here's eight hundred games all out of order, and then they're like, by the way, here's Kingdom Hearts three, and it's not on the PlayStation three. Like I wanted to flip a table. Um, but anyway, I digress. We love, we love games and we know a lot of you love games. And if you don't love games, try games. They're a lot of fun and we'd love to talk with you about them. We'd love to hear what you think. And, um, we don't just do this for ourselves. We know that there are people out there who are, who are into hearing opinions that are different than theirs. And some that are here to listen to opinions that are similar than theirs. And some people who are just listening to, uh, you know find something to be frustrated about and that's that's totally your call but yeah Richard it's been great to talk about Spyro with you to take a walk down what I would imagine is a very nice memory lane for you
1: yeah absolutely was um once again uh thank you Ben for joining me um and also you know, just to reiterate, please share our show if you like it. Uh, Word of mouth is still the best way, uh, but of course word of mouth means social media and the like. And otherwise, I think we're good to sign off.
0: Well, thank you for joining me as well, Richard.